Good morning. Today's reading is from Luke chapter 14, verses 25 to 33. Luke 14, 25 to 33, the cost of being a disciple. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus and turning to them, he said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Will he not first sit down and estimate the cost to see if he has enough money to complete it? For if he lays the foundation and is not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule him, saying, this fellow began to build and was not able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Will he not first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000. If he is not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, any of you who does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, everybody. Lovely to see you. Especially warm welcome if you are here for the first time. Little girl, little girl went to her mum and she said, Mum, where do humans come from? And the mum said to her, well, God made Adam and Eve and they had children and that's who we are descended from. A few days later, she asked her dad the same question. And her dad answered, well, millions of years ago, there were monkeys from which people evolved. Somewhat confused, the little girl asked her mum again. She said, mum, mum, how is it possible you told me people were created by God and dad says people evolved from monkeys? And her mum answered, well, well, dear, she said, it's very, very simple, really. You see, I told you about my side of the family, and your father told you about his. <laughs> but don't, don't you wonder, really, is, honestly, isn't family life a bit like that sometimes? I mean, sometimes you have to deal with the unexpected. I, I was working hard, I was, started work at 8 o'clock on Friday, and I was looking forward to the weekend, but I was asked if I would babysit for my, my two grandsons. So I said, yes, I would, provided I could be finished at 11.30. 11.30 came round. I was really looking forward to getting home and getting to my bed. Unfortunately, we had a medical emergency in the family, and I spent most of Saturday night in a and E. I didn't actually get to bed until 4 o'clock. I did meet some nice people from... Are you here, the tailors? They're not here, but I met some nice... Yes, there they are. It was nice, wasn't it, saying hello at three o'clock in the morning? Yeah, that was great. But the good thing is, the good thing is, in my family, we're still talking to each other, which doesn't really seem to fit 
with the scripture that Simon just read to us. Whoever comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and even life itself, cannot be my disciples. Well, surely this passage is contrary to what we really need in the world right now, isn't it? I mean, come on, family life is fractured enough as it is. The UK has the highest rate of family instability in the developed world. Surely the last thing we need is another reason to set each other against each other. And especially when that reason is decreed by Jesus himself. Problem is, it's not just Luke's account we have to wrestle with. Matthew's gospel goes even further. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and one's foe will be members of one's household. Jesus, really, this, this is tough stuff. I mean, I can't recall any, any of these verses cropping up during my ordination training. Our tutors told us that a well-run church was in many ways like a well-run family where members could feel a real sense of belonging. Our calling as church leaders was to build up the church family, encourage families in life, in unity and faith. So the question we're facing this morning is, do we really want a Lord who strides into our midst with a sword in his hand to chop us apart. I mean, surely there's nothing intrinsically wrong with having a well-run church fellowship along those lines. Except, except that according to Jesus, we can't become his disciples unless we hate our families, carry our crosses, give up all our possessions. Ooh. So, should the welcome... Hello, welcome team at the back there. They're still awake, jolly good. Should our welcome team really be greeting newcomers at the door saying, are you absolutely sure you want to come in here and follow this way of life? It'll take everything you have. Come before everything else that matters to you. Why not go back home and think it over first? I mean, we'd hate for you to get in over your head. But according to the scriptures, far from making it easy for people to follow him, Jesus is pointing out just how hard it is. Okay, well to try and grasp what's really going on here, it's a good idea if we put the passage into context. You see, Jesus is talking to a large crowd and they've been following him around from town to town. They're not people he's called to follow him. They've simply rocked up, bubbling with enthusiasm to hear what this fascinating, offbeat rabbi is going to say next. And Jesus is less than welcoming. He tells them not to get their hopes up. The more likely they can't afford what they think they want. So he suggests they'd be better off going home, do some hard, sober thinking, before they decide to follow him. And some of them are puzzled by his response. Because you see, they want to get close to him despite themselves. 
get close, as close as they can to this sort of compelling energy that radiates from him like heat from a fire. And so they're jostling each other to see who's going to be the first to hear what this guy says. They've almost got this feeling that they'd like to be part of this changing world with him, but they don't really have a clue as to the cost. And you see, Jesus isn't pulling any punches. He doesn't want to mislead them into thinking they're joining a circus troupe instead of a battle, going into battle unarmed. What he's doing, what Jesus is doing, he's using figures of speech that were common in his day. In his day, the way you stated a preference was by pairing two things together, saying you loved one but hated the other. Now, this has got nothing to do with emotions but everything to do with priorities. Let me try and think of an example. For instance, if I said I love red wine but hate white, it wouldn't actually mean I feel hostile towards white, white wine. It just means that red was my preferred choice. And it's really helpful for us this morning, I think, to grasp this biblical idiom. Because to hate actually means to love less. To hate, in this context, means to love less. And the context which Jesus is using has nothing to do with emotions, but everything to do with priorities. Because you see, priorities are on Jesus' mind in this passage. He's on his way to Jerusalem, and he knows what a hard road lies in front of him. And by the time these scriptures got written down, Luke and Matthew, the gospel writers, knew even more. By their time, Christians were already being persecuted for following Jesus. You see, to have a Christian in the family in those days was very dangerous. It was dangerous for everyone in the family because the Romans were really thorough. If they found one believer, just one believer, everyone in the household got arrested. So it was true that turning towards Jesus meant turning away from your family, whether you wanted to or not. Once you'd made following Jesus your priority, everything else fell by the wayside. Not because God took it away from you, but because that was how the world worked. You see, the truth about these first century Gospels is that they were addressed to members of struggling fellowships, newly fledged churches. And a lot of those people sitting in those congregations were already estranged from their families. At this time, it was the custom for the whole of the households to adopt the faith of the head of the family. So everyone in the household was compelled to believe what that person believed. Wives, children, servants, everyone. So you see, if one of them made a declaration of Christian faith, well, it was nothing short of mutiny. Not least because going against the faith of the head of the family and becoming a Christian instead had all kinds of ramifications. It might mean selling all that person owned and giving 
giving it to the poor. It might mean beginning to fraternize with a whole new social class of people, less desirables, outcasts, slaves. It would certainly mean bringing the whole household under suspicion by the Roman authorities. So you see, do you get the picture? There would have been people sitting in those congregations who had already been kicked out of their families for believing in Jesus. And when they heard these passages, what Jesus said about hating families, it didn't frighten them. Instead, it was a source of comfort. It was as if he'd known what would happen to them and had reassured them and us ahead of time. You see, Jesus knows how powerful families are in our lives, whether they're working well or not at all, whether we are actively engaged with them or utterly estranged from them. There are parents and children who have reached an impasse over money, lifestyle, or religion, and who no longer speak to each other. There are brothers and sisters who have fought over the same thing, inheritance, perhaps, or the care of an aged parent, and as a result, have erased each other from their address books. When the separation in family life is mutual, it's bad enough. But it's even worse when you've been cut off and don't know why. Or perhaps you do know why, and you want to work it out, but you can't. This is painful stuff. It's just about as painful as it gets. Because, you see, no one, no one knows how to hurt each other the way that family members do. The knowledge of one another is so great. The shared history is so powerful. The memories are so deep. All of them, all of them are heavy weapons in the arsenals we use against each other whether it's rejection by your family or rejection of your family, that rejection itself can begin to consume you so that you begin to define yourself by it. And Jesus knows how easy it is for us to be consumed by those feelings, to forget who we are apart from those feelings. And that's why he's saying, and this is the essence of this passage, that it is only when we discover who we are apart from our families that we can truly be part of them. It is only when we discover who we are apart from our families that we can truly be part of them in a really healthy way. The prophet Jeremiah says, God's word is like a hammer that breaks a rock in pieces. And Jesus doesn't disagree with him. Do you think I've come to bring peace on the earth? No, I tell you, rather division. 
But Jesus isn't threatening us. You see, he's loving us as usual. He's refusing to lie to us, refusing to make the way sound easier than it is, if the kingdom of God is truly to be hastened along. And what Jesus wants us to know is just what it costs so that no one, no one follows him under false pretenses. You see, he doesn't want us to get halfway through building a tower and then have to abandon it. Or to go charging off into battle like a king without sufficient troops to secure a victory. And if that all sounds rather overly dramatic, then perhaps we need sometimes to ask ourselves if maybe, sometimes, we've lost track of what following him is all about. Is it about being good, upright citizens? Or is it about changing the world? Is it about creating a safe, caring environment where people's needs are met? Or is it about living in such a radically different way that the authorities get really mad with us. A leading civil rights activist once said, if I'm following Jesus, how come I'm such a good insurance risk? If I'm following Jesus, how come I'm such a good insurance risk? Authentic Christian discipleship costs all that we have, all that we love, and all that we are. Whoever comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and even life itself, cannot be my disciples. But it's less God's doing than our own. You see, if the world were a less hostile place for us kingdom builders, well, discipleship might just be a walk in the park. But guys, you know, and I know it's not. And Jesus doesn't want anybody to be fooled. He may not have been an expert at modern church management techniques, but he is a very, very good saviour. And he's a very good saviour who isn't through with us yet, any one of us. And his best management tool of all has always been the very thing that killed him, the cross he ended up on, the one he was carrying long before he even got to Golgotha. And the great news, the really good news about this passage is that he's always offering to share it with us, to let us get underneath it with him. Not because he wants us to suffer, but he wants us to know just how alive and he can feel, even underneath something that heavy. How we can appropriate some of that divine energy, that, that energy that attracted those crowds to him. How he can take your breath away when we commit to love him above all other loves. It's not for everyone. That's clearly what he's telling us. Not all of us have what it takes to shoulder the cross. But that doesn't mean the rest of us are lost. It's precisely for the rest of us, the weaker ones, that he took the weight of that cross upon himself so that 
even if we can't help him carry it all the time, he'll carry us too. He just doesn't want us to take it for granted. Of course, we live in a very different culture and world with different consequences for declaring our faith in Christ. But even 2,000 years on, one thing hasn't changed, and that's our deep desire for kinship, for family belonging. Some people find that in their families, and some do not. Some of us find it in our church families, and some of us do not. Whether we do or whether we don't, Jesus' demand remains the same. We don't have to hate our families in order to remember who we are apart from them. We don't have to hate our families in order to remember who we are apart from them. But we are called to love him above all other loves. And if that means losing those we love, we're not to be afraid of doing so. Because buried in his demand on our, on our lives is a divine promise that what we lose for his sake, we shall find again. Return to us more alive than it ever was before. Amen.